Hello and welcome to the Interfish Podcast, where we bring you the most interesting and compelling seafood news. I'm Editor-in-Chief Drew Cherry, joined by Executive Editor John Fiorillo, and we are heading into Barcelona, almost at Brussels, almost at Brussels, and I promise I won't bag too much on Brussels in this podcast. John, you have to keep me from doing that, but it's Seafood Expo Global. Uh, the largest seafood show uh, on the face of the planet each year, uh, held in Barcelona starting next week. Now, it's hard to overstate the the seafood shows and their importance. Um, there's really the two biggies, the two really biggies that that matter are Boston and Barcelona, run by the same show company. Um, but it it draws people from all around the world together. A lot of business gets done. A lot of negotiation happens there. Uh, a lot of contracts, acquisitions, all all the things that that are exciting about the industry. A lot of times they all have their their genesis at the show. So we'll talk about that in a minute. But want to make sure you have that context for what uh, the industry is going to be focused on next week. Let's start with a shrimp today. Uh, John penned a commentary. Uh, John, there are some efforts afoot to increase shrimp consumption. Now, shrimp is, of all the species that uh, we track, it's having a rough time right now. Uh, prices at retail, if you've gone into a retail or food service establishment, shrimp prices are, are high from a consumer perspective. Um, now, on the uh, on the farming and trading perspective, they're really seeing a slowdown in demand, um, and have had all kinds of challenges with logistics, uh, cold storage, on and on. Um, so while the the, the underlying uh, trends in shrimp are positive, it's definitely going through. Uh, a really, really um, tricky period. But John, there's still a lot of room for expanding consumption and growth. It, it remains one of the largest, uh, if not the largest, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, in the US, but one of the largest in the UK, uh, all across Western, uh, Western Europe. Um, many countries, shrimp is a favorite, but still it needs a, needs a little more demand to get stoked up. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a belief that uh, there's a lot of uh, demand left on the tables, uh, so to speak, that just isn't being realized when it comes to uh, shrimp, especially in the U.S. market, but other Western markets and and uh, and now some Asian markets. And I'll get into that in a second. But, um, you know, although somebody challenged me on LinkedIn about this, uh, there's never a a quote-unquote normal year in the shrimp industry. You know, you and I have been doing this for a while, and, uh, you know, one year is up, one year is down. You know, when when prices are up, the more shrimp get planted on the farms, they overload the market, prices crash, they cut back production. It's a never-ending uh, cycle, it seems. And this year uh, is really... Not a whole bunch different, but a little more severe. I mean, we are looking at white shrimp production, for example, is at you know record levels around the world. It's it's five million metric tons roughly last year. That's a million more than 2020 and two million more than 2015. So 
all this shrimp's got to go somewhere, right? Well, all that production, unfortunately, met with, uh, you know, the global economic slowdown, and that's driven consumers to cut their spending, especially in Western markets in Europe and the U.S. So all this, uh, you know, shrimp is kind of looking for a place to go, and it, it isn't finding one. So... With that as the current backdrop, anyways, uh, the, uh, the folks at the um, Global Shrimp Forum Foundation, they launched uh, the Global Shrimp Forum last year, uh, kind of a, a giant forum of just people focused on shrimp production around the world and shrimp sales. And it was very successful. I do. Th- I think you went maybe, Drew, but I'm not sure. I did. It was a fantastic. Yeah, event. so they have a second one coming up uh, in the Netherlands uh, later this year, and um, part of what will be on the agenda is this whole idea of how do we increase increase consumption. They've sent out kind of a a, a bid for research uh, marketing consultants to come in and kind of scope out how they would go about examining whether you know they should go forward with something like that and those findings will be presented uh at at the at the upcoming conference and they want to serve as kind of uh you know a conduit um uh, organizer for this discussion and see if it it goes anywhere and at the same time there was uh, an effort uh oh gosh just before the pandemic to get, um, you know, a similar type of program off the ground, specifically focused on the U.S. market. George Chamberlain, uh, you know, longtime uh, seafood veteran, uh, founder of the Global Seafood Alliance and all, he was kind of spearheading that effort. It died, but it's not quite dead in the sense that his group, uh, the new group he's with, is going to uh, take this up when they meet in July um, in Vietnam, I believe it is, for another uh, shrimp industry, the Shrimp Summit, uh, as it's called. It's kind of another, you know, conference of some of one sort in the, uh, in the shrimp industry. So, those are two distinct efforts that eh, maybe they'll combine if if things develop. Um, maybe they'll go nowhere, as m- uh, most of these efforts have over the last uh, decade, two decades. So um, that's kind of where we sit right now. And um, yeah, it's most of these efforts have failed because they've been designed on a voluntary basis. Uh, and what that means is nobody steps up to the plate to pay for it. If it's not a mandatory checkoff, then, you know, a few who are willing to pay are subsidizing their competitors in many cases uh, to promote, uh, you know, increased consumption. So the track record for something like this, not so good, but, but times are different. Uh, and that may that may um, be what's needed. So, I mean, what do you in terms of of having a message that goes across multiple countries? Um, I mean, we haven't really seen anything quite 
like that. I mean, we've seen, for example, the Alaska Seafood Marketing Institute or the Norway Seafood Council spreading a message across multiple countries, but it's always tricky to find what kind of message is going to resonate across different consumers, right? Yeah, and I don't think either of these efforts are, you know, at that stage whatsoever. They're they're basically trying to figure out whether they should do this. What are they talking about? Uh, is the industry, there was an interesting point brought up by William, Willem at the, um, at the forum, at, at Global Shrimp Forum, and he said to me, you know, one of his members said, hey, look, um, do we really want to do this right now? Are we ready as an, a global industry to put our heads up and talk about this? Because there's a good chance we'll be confronted with, you know, criti- critical questions about animal welf- welfare, sustainability, use of antibiotics. And um, so when you go out there and start saying, you know, eat more shrimp, there are going to be plenty of groups who, uh, are going to come and say, well, you know, the industry is ruining uh, mangroves here and polluting there and things like that. So uh, what that message might be to get back to your question is is far from uh, on the radar at this point. I think just trying to figure out whether they should do it, they feel desperately like they, they need to boost consumption, but um, getting from there to something that actually does that is a long and winding road. Got it. Yeah. Well, you know, I know that certainly around the, around the shrimp industry, everyone and anyone would welcome any efforts that would actually bump up consumption. So I'm sure there's a lot of people that'll be eager to, to take part and, and watch closely how it goes. Um, so let's shift over to uh, to aquaculture in the United States, which is a topic that we talked about a couple months back, John, when um, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration released its aquaculture plan. Uh, we took a lot of heat for that because uh, I think that our government felt like we were a little unfair with how we characterized what they were planning to do. Um, but, uh, I think it, uh, it is fair. And I think we, uh, in our subsequent discussions, John, we've both stood by our belief that the U S continues to be a pretty hostile environment for aquaculture, certainly in the ocean. Um, but that may be changing. And this was a surprise to me. Um, but the, uh, the, there, there's eight, fisheries councils around the the United States that manage the fisheries and and aquaculture just manage the waters full stop. And the New England Fishery Management Council uh, proposed a framework for what it might look like uh, if there were uh, offshore salmon uh, farming. Now, that idea would have seemed to be kind of preposterous um, just, uh, yeah, even a couple of years ago, it seemed like that would be a non-starter since offshore aquaculture in the U S has been so challenging, even for species that are considered, I guess you could say non-controversial. 
Uh, salmon, of course, is very controversial um, because of the wild populations in uh, in the the Pacific Northwest, uh, and just in general, it's been a, a fish that, even though it is consumed by everybody, uh, it's still a punching bag uh, for for uh, for folks that are criticizing aquaculture. So um, it was a little bit of uh, yeah of a surprise. To see that um, the the potential for uh, for a farming site is being considered after a group called Blue Water Fisheries, based out of New Hampshire, um, they, they together with uh, Equipment Group Innovacy, uh, which is a uh, which is a subsidiary of Cuna del Mar, uh, which is backed by uh, some members of the Walton family. Uh, so those two uh, put in a permit to develop an offshore site. Uh, for both steelhead and salmon, it would be off the coast of New Hampshire uh, in federal waters uh, and raise, at least in the beginning, around 11,000 metric tons. Now, of course, the this is has not uh, been fully approved. There's a lot of different hoops it has to jump through um, to, to actually become a reality. Um, but it is a sign, it's a hopeful sign, that offshore aquaculture and salmon farming in particular may actually have a future. John, what did you make of it? Yeah, I too was surprised. Um, it's it's an interesting concept, and what the council basically did was open the door for it to proceed to a next step. Uh, if they hadn't made this change in their fishery management plan, it, none of this could even be really discussed because it doesn't fit into the plan. But they made a change, and, and now the door's open. So now it kind of goes back to Noah, and we'll see, you know, what happens there. But, uh, you know, your first point was we've been particularly grumpy about the lack of aquaculture development here, despite the Trump uh, administration really pushing forward and and uh, NOAA having, you know, uh, aquaculture arm forever that has, uh, hasn't been very effective in, in creating uh, what we would call an industry uh, here. But, but um, with that said, I don't recollect a time ever where we've had so much energy and actual um, things going on in U.S. aquaculture. I mean, we have all the land-based development. We can argue how fast or slow that is going and where that may go, but we didn't have that uh, not too many years ago. Now, Noah's role in that is, you know, less, uh, less in many ways, but uh, we also have, you know, this project you just referenced, uh, and and Noah's moving forward with its, um, you know, site selection, so to speak, for uh, aqua, uh, aquaculture um, uh, operations in, in federal waters. So there's probably more going on at this moment in time than maybe ever before. And, you know, let's not forget, we, we have a robust catfish industry, that's aquaculture. Um, and you know, you can say what you want, but those guys have, have made it work and we have a fledgling RAS kind of land-based shrimp, uh, aquaculture sector going tough to tell where that's headed, but 
So there's there is a lot going on, um, and I particularly like this one uh, that you referenced the you know uh, off offshore salmon operations by Blue Water Fisheries. I think it 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 really could be a model um, for something much bigger. Uh, you know, it's so far to go. We. We've got all the permitting still to do and all those things that are government red tapish, but we yet to, we have yet to see whether the as I call them the pitchfork crowd will come out and you know try and kill something like this, whether it be because it interferes with uh, whatever fishing or whales or whatever it may be i mean you know and those are legitimate questions i'm not trying to dismiss that but you know i really i i don't get too excited about these things until the opponents uh weigh in and we see what gravity they have yeah I mean, you know, once that's really all that's lacking is a is a framework, a regulatory framework for it in the United States, which has been so challenging to 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 come across. Um, but once that's in place, there is a lot of a lot of money, a lot of tech, a lot of willingness um, and ability to build something up pretty quickly. So, you know, in in Norway, there's systems that have been tried, tested, uh, deployed, and actually can raise uh, and are raising and have raised uh, healthy salmon. And so uh, the, the, the potential is pretty massive. I think it comes down, you know, John, to the, the food security discussion and where people are going to come down on that. I think the, the attention for aquaculture as a sustainable uh, source of, of food that's changed radically. That has radically changed, and I think in the in the U.S. in particular. So maybe there's one sort of, like you said, one sort of opponent hurdle that's less of a of a big deal than it used to be. Um, but uh, but you know, getting actual uh, regulatory framework in place is uh, is going to be critical, and that can take a long, long, long time. And so the fact that this is even being um, considered at this stage is, um, yeah, it's pretty, uh, pretty impressive. So we'll be tracking it more and seeing where this goes, uh, where this goes yeah. next. But I would say good news if you're a proponent of aqua. Well, and let's yes. not forget this is, uh, particularly with salmon. Uh, this is all happening at a time when the two powerhouses of, uh, salmon farming being Norway and Chile are basically, um, up against a production cap. They're, they're, I don't mean it's a hard cap or anything like that, but their ability to grow has is kind of very limited right now, just because of regulations within each country and and things along those lines. So, um, if you can't grow this supply, obviously, what's that going to do to prices? And you know, I think we know we've seen we're seeing that, but. So if if another region of the world could come in, in in a substantial way, I think that would not only be helpful, but it would probably attract the attention of Norwegian seafood companies, Chilean seafood companies that 
wanted to uh, get in on the uh, uh, gold rush, for lack of a better word. But I'm putting the cart before the horse here. Uh, we still have to be able to permit one of these places and get it on the water and see if it works. Right. Yeah. Um, so, as I said, we're heading over to Barcelona. Uh, Interfish will be there, uh, myself and a few other team members reporting from the show floor. It is, uh, once again, a, another um, another strange bit of context hanging over the Barcelona show. Uh, last year, there was no question that Ukraine was kind of this dark, dark cloud. Um, nobody knew what was going to mean. A lot more questions than answers. It was really unsure what kind of sanctions there would be, who would be doing business where. Um, it was it was uh, a pretty chaotic time, um, which uh, was interesting coming from um, coming in the in the first year that had been in a in a new place. But I can say that uh, everyone was so happy to be back uh, at uh, at the show, and it did. There was a sense it was a return to normalcy, and I expect that it'll feel even more that way this year. Not just because of post COVID, but also because there is at least a bit more certainty about what uh, where Russia sits uh, in terms of uh, a seafood supplier. So I expect that to be the biggest topic that that we hear certainly from the whitefish sector is more supposition about whether or not there'll be uh, any additional uh, any additional sanctions going on fish going via China into Europe um, any any other companies that will continue to pivot away but you know I I think that there is at least awareness among the whitefish sector that the kind of worst case scenario of Russian fish being completely banned out of Europe um, isn't going to happen uh, unless there's some major, major radical change. Um, there's just too many jobs that, that hinge around having that flow of, of, uh, of supply. So, you know, I could very well be wrong, but I don't think that's a, a going to happen and it's certainly not as much of a concern as it was but there's still plenty of questions about about supply and um certainly it's tighter than it was uh before all of this um in part again because russia has had a hard time finding a home for for all of its fish but uh that'll be one big topic now on salmon uh, i do expect that we're going to hear a lot about prices um, it has been record prices, you know, over the past uh, couple of years, we've just seen, um, we've seen levels that we'd never, uh, could have imagined. And that's put an incredible amount of pressure on buyers, um, certainly processors that are uh, smokehouses, independent uh, folks that are doing processing. Those people that are squeezed in the middle, many of whom are the kind of companies that do show up and, uh, and, and, uh, and exhibit at Brussels um, will 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 be there and and certainly talking about the challenges that they've been facing, and then of course I expect the uh, the tax uh, the Nor Norway tax issue to be uh, another big topic about where where it's all going to land and it certainly had its uh, its its time in the in the press uh, and we've certainly analyzed it from every which angle that we could have uh, that we could think of and it's still 
it still remains uncertain and unclear what the impact's going to be on salmon farmers. As you said, John, it's certainly prompting salmon farmers to look for other areas of, of growth. And so uh, I expect that will be um, part of part of the scuttlebutt will be who might be moving where if there's other companies that might be in play. Now, on the M&A front, uh, I also expect some some news. Um, John, I know you broke several stories at the Boston Seafood Show, so people are, are smart enough. They've figured out how to time the media, the news cycle. So uh, they, they tried getting some of those tips to us uh, ahead of Boston so that uh, the news would break around that time. I imagine we're going to see the same thing. Um, the big blockbuster deal on everybody's mind right now is, uh, is cook the Canadian giant cook, uh, and it's agreement to acquire, uh, Nueva Pescanova, or at least, um, at least part of it. We're not sure how the deal's going to fully break down. Um, but once that, uh, once that's all signed and done and dusted, um, that's, it's going to be, uh, pretty interesting to see just how big cook uh cook really is and and how uh yeah how, what its next plans are because certainly acquisition and uh, the appetite and the ability to integrate do not seem like they're a challenge for cook um john any other issues that you think might be popping up at barcelona that we should be thinking about that our readers should be prepped and ready well for? let me first say um if you're going to the show uh you better bring comfy shoes because the amount of exhibit space is up 24% from a year ago, according to Diversified uh, Communications, which organizes that show and the Boston Seafood Show and, and many other types of trade shows. The, the really interesting note uh, that came from a press release from them was there are 776 first-time exhibitors at the event this year. I find that very interesting, and I think that goes along with the issues you laid out and just the general uh, disruption in the supply chain right now uh, across, you know, whitefish for sure, salmon for sure, crab um, is another one that the supply chain's been all blown to heck, um, and I think when there is this this unease and this um, lack of uh, surety with with things, these shows really can step in and and be more important uh, than ever before. So um, it's going to be a big show, and you know part of that is just getting it out of Brussels and putting it in beautiful Barcelona. But that's not all of it. You know, you meant as you mentioned there that this is. This is a tough time for seafood, you know, everywhere, especially in a lot of Western markets that came off this COVID bump where seafood was flying out the door and every, you know, consumption was going up, sales were going up and boom, you know, uh, the door seems to have slammed. So, um, yeah, it's just a very uneasy time, I think, and, and people you know, go to a show like this to try and figure out, you know, what, what the next steps might be. And, um, so yeah, to, to your point and, and I'll just say on the M and a front, um, you know, we're seeing what I think is a lot of post COVID M and a activity where companies, I think we mentioned this before companies that survived COVID made it through, 
maybe did come out on the other side super healthy or maybe came out on the other side and their owners just wanted to get away from it. So those companies are kind of in play right now, and I think you're seeing that. So I I would suspect, just like you, that uh, there'll be several um, substantial deals uh, announced at the at the event. All right. Well, we'll uh, be letting you know. So this show begins on Tuesday. And uh, as I said, you can go to intrafish.com. You'll see uh, our link to our live blog. So we'll have uh, interviews from the show floor, photos, uh, everything you you need, uh, whether or not you are there uh, or if you're uh, stuck behind your desk, uh, you can still keep up with, with everything happening. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, and we will speak to you next time.